The words will be on the screen, but uh, it says 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. I'm actually going to begin in verse 13. I already had a kind of conversation with the brother here. You know, chapter divisions and paragraph divisions, those are not inspired. <laughs> and so we're, I'm going to back up to the last verse the Lord walked us through last Sunday because it really gives us the running start on the conclusion of this letter. But before I even read the text, let me ask you a simple question. Where do you live? Where do you live? We could say Kerrville. We could say Earth. We could say, and, and, and what does that mean? If, if you ask some stranger on the street, where do you live? They might think, well, this town, or they might think, well, I live at such and such a house uh, a couple blocks from here, or they, well, I live right here on the street. I sleep under a bridge. Or they might say, well, actually, I live in that mansion in Comanche Trace, right by the golf course, which I make a lot of use of. There are all kinds of responses that regular earthlings <laughs> Uh, could give to that where do you live question. But if, I, if you are a redeemed child of the living God, and I ask you, where do you live? We have a gigantic answer that nobody else on the planet can match. I live, to borrow from, even though we're going to be looking at 1 John, we're going to borrow this from Paul, I live in Christ. Paul is incessant on the use of that simple phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. If I were to ask some fellow on the street, where do you live? Oh, well, I live on the street. I sleep under the, I sleep under the bridge. Well, he's thinking in terms of the resources he has. The person in the mansion in Comanche Trace. Where do you live? And he might think in terms of his house. He might think in the gates around. He might think in terms of his bank account. But if you're a Christian, if you're an authentic follower of the Redeemer, Where do you live? You live in him. What provision does he have for you? Every bit of energy, every bit of wealth, every bit of substance that is in the heavens and the earth is available to him to grant to his children. What is the size of our bank account? Heaven's treasury. What is the amount of the protection I have? Is it earthly walls of granite or bars of iron that might be on a window? My protector is God himself. I had a conversation earlier with Brandon where we were talking about people who fought in Korea, fought in Vietnam, that are actually dealing with the trauma, the trauma of having survived while they witnessed friends of theirs dying, being killed, and wondering, why was I spared? And bearing the guilt, 
one of my favorite testimonies. And it arises from a Christian ministry here in Kerrville. A fellow named Dan Geroy. Some people know Dan Geroy. Dan Geroy used to have a counseling ministry on the third floor of the Wells Fargo building 100 yards from here. And he told me the account of a fellow that he was giving counseling to. Now, Dan Geroy did Christian counseling, true Christian counseling. And he wasn't afraid to ask Jesus to be at the table. And he had a man that he had done a few sessions with who was struggling with PTSD because he had survived Vietnam. He had survived Vietnam. And in the middle of one of those sessions, the man was explaining how angry he was that he had survived and his friends had died. And he's bearing this burden and what can God do about that? And Dan Geroy said, well, let's ask Jesus. And then Dan Geroy just shut up and sat there and said nothing. For six minutes, that's a long time of silence. And at the end of six minutes, the man said, Jesus said, he can heal me. And Jesus did right then and there. And the next week, when the man came back for another appointment, his wife came with him and charged into the counseling room and said to Dan Geroy, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've given me a brand new husband. You've given me a brand new husband. Jesus had, uh, Dan couldn't fix that guy, but Jesus could. He, he, be, he stepped from being in the world to being in Christ. And Jesus the cleanser, Jesus the healer, cleansed and healed him and granted to him the strength that he needed to deal with the false guilt that Lucifer, the accuser, had been pouring out on him, and he was set free. And the man's wife came charging in, giving praise before Dan to Jesus. You are in Christ. You are in the Son of God. All of the resources of heaven are yours Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel and I will be with you. You are never, ever, 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 if you're an authentic Christian, you're never, ever, 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 ever alone. He is with you. And we could all come back with testimonies that we have of our own life experience or other people testimonies that we have heard. What does Paul what does yeah Paul wrote the whole Bible by the way. No. John what does John say? What does the Holy Spirit say through John's pen in 1 John 5:13? These things I have written to you that you who believe in the name trust in the reputation. Trust in the reputation 
of the Son of God. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Trust in the reputation of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It is your present possession. It's not something that awaits you. Now, the glory, of the magnificent glory of it awaits us, but it's already our possession. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name. Every time you read name, think reputation. In the name, the reputation, the truth claims of the Son of God. Of the Son of God. That's where we dwell. Every resource. It's not the guy who lives in the mansion on Comanche Trace that needs to be envied. As I've said before, the day is coming. We're about, about one or two thousand years into the, into the eternal reign of Christ. We're going to be sitting around a table and somebody's going to be scratching there. Of course, this probably isn't true because we lack perfect knowledge. Bill Gates, Bill Gates, Bill Gates. Anybody remember who that guy? Oh, yeah, he's the guy that lived in that hovel out on that island in the San Juan Strait. And, and there was that earthquake and it all went... <laughs> What the world points to today as glory is going to look like pocket change trash in the eternal kingdom and reign of Christ. We don't know what glory looks like. We must walk in that reality. We are children of grace, of great promises that have yet to be fulfilled, but they will be fulfilled. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him, the Son of God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. What does that look like today, right now? You ask anything in His name and He will do it. You ask in his name according to his reputation. And by the way, it's a good idea to have be voicing your request based on, okay, I'm seeing things through Bible glasses. Be asking according to his will. Be asking according to his will. Not your own fleshly desires. He's not talking about fleshly desires. He's talking about that you may walk in his strength in his, by his guidance. Now, this is the confidence that we, have, ask, that we have in him, present tense, have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And what was the testimony that we heard? We heard of men asking God for blessing according to his will. Did they get it? Yes. Are they getting it? Yes, and that's the process of God's kingdom being played out, worked out right now, today, in our life experience. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And when the Bible says he hears us, it means he responds. It's not just, okay, I got that. See you later. No. He hears us. There is a positive response. And if we know, know, 
know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him let me repeat that john is saying in case you didn't get it the first time whatever petition you make you're heard you're heard you're heard now we're going to go into a sticky subject a difficult subject because what is he going to be looking at he's going to be looking at what do I do with a brother who has or sister who has put their feet on a wrong path now the Lord Jesus has already addressed this you can read this in Matthew chapter 18 if you have a brother who has offended you go privately to that brother one-on-one and seek reconciliation confront him about what he's done and if he hears you God bless the whole situation restoration has happened if he will not hear you get one or two other brothers and privately go to him and with them as witnesses do the same thing and they are there with you if you will not hear them then you take it to the church and the church will go through the same process with him if he will not hear the church then put him out by the way in that passage it is the question is never raised is this an authentic brother that issue is never raised now certainly there will be instances where the person is not an authentic believer but we don't you know what I can't tell I've been fooled a lot there are people that I thought were absolutely absolutely solid gold 100% authentic believers that had ended up blowing up <clears throat> I pastored a church that one of the fellows on the board of deacons he and his wife are now in the church of scientology <laughs> folks that is about as far from jesus as you can possibly get but he was a member he was part of the leadership and nobody ever voiced any concerns about the reality but we can't tell don't ever try to be the final decider it's not your job your job is to deal with that person according to God's wisdom God's kindness God's patience and the purpose of putting them out of the church isn't to be mean to them it's to put them in isolation because that's typically where people will repent who have been steadfast in their rebellion it's when they get isolated and they're forced to just look at you know why is it that jails are so often the places where people repent because they're faced with four gray walls they're by themselves and nobody is in that room with them that cell with them except Jesus and they come to repentance Isolation is commonly the path through which people are brought to Christ. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, 
there are two kinds of there's two levels of sin. There's sins that don't lead to yeah, a sin is sin is sin is sin. What let me back what is the sin unto death? The sin unto death is when you renounce Christ. And let's say it's an authentic believer, but they renounce Christ because of fear or whatever the motivation is. If they renounce Christ, if you, if a follower, public follower of Jesus makes choices that bring defamation on God, God takes his reputation seriously. And if they persist in that and persist in that and persist in that, God it's called the sin unto death. God will take them out for his own reputation's sake. We are not dealing with a God who, we are, let me back up, we are dealing with a God who takes his own holiness seriously. And there are some times when believers need a spanking. But if they go far enough and persist in it long enough, there is such a thing in a level of renunciation of God where God says, enough, you're out of here. You've defamed me enough. If anyone sees a, his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. There are some points, as in the Matthew 18 passage, you put them out of the church. What does that mean? Okay, brother, we're putting you out here. It's just you and God. Bye. Are you going to pray for him? No. It's you and God. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. And he, Jesus, the Son of God, will give him life for those who commit a sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death, John says. And by the way, earlier in this letter, John said to the several congregations reading this circular letter, this letter is going from congregation to congregation to congregation. Probably the same congregations that the seven congregations that the book of Revelation was sent to. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. Where God will continue to work with you, drawing you to repentance. Keep working with those people that are willing to hear and be take counsel. Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. <whistles> and of course, we've already addressed this. John starts his letter saying, 1 John 1, 7, if we, you my readers and, and me, if we walk in the light as he, God, is in the light, is there a definition of the Christian life that says more than that? You're getting it right. <laughs> if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another between ourselves and God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
Wait, 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 John, you just said I'm walking in the light. What's this sin business? Oh, I didn't, I said you're walking in the light. I didn't say you are the light. And so every time God, while you're walking in the light, when God says, okay, now let's address this issue. Oh, two verses later, if we confess our sins, he, God, if we, same people in mind, confess our sins, say the same thing about our sin that God says about it, don't mince words. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, verse 10, that we have, we have no sin, we're making God a liar. Because God says, no, <laughs> you're my child, but you're not perfect. I'm here to shepherd you, and I'm read, I will offer ready forgiveness. I'm readily offering you forgiveness, but don't ever believe, don't ever understand yourself to have gotten it perfect. So this is the apostle who in the first chapter emphasizes the fact we are never going to, we never stepped into sinless perfection until we step into his presence. And our fallen nature has been yanked out of us and thrown away. <laughs> and we stand before him in resurrection, perfect bodies, and all the rest. Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not. But then John also, later in the letter, as he does here, says, wait a minute. Don't use what I said in chapter 1 to excuse your sin. Well, John said I can't get it perfect, so, hey! Uh, and I got that first John 1, 9 promise, whatever I can, you know, so I, could, I think I'll just continue doing this stuff that feeds my flesh. Uh, no, no, no. You are to be an authentic follower of God. He will Develop your skills in walking with him as you walk with him and his wisdom. We have a brother here that's a, uh, an athletic coach. And what is what do athletic coaches do with the, with the students they've got on their football teams and basketball? They help them to improve their skills. How often do you get a Michael Jordan <laughs> in the 10th grade? Not, it, it actually has never happened yet, has it? <laughs> Okay, we're always works in progress. We know that whoever born, but don't let that reality help you to become a cause for you to justify your sinfulness. No, uh-uh. If you're born of God, whatever is in you that is authentically drawn from the reality of your relationship with God, it will never, it will never include sin. God hates sin, and so should we. And we should never excuse sin. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. So don't say, oh, well, I'm as good as God can do. Uh-uh. While you're in sin. Forget about it. But he who has been born of God, of his own will, he brought us forth, brought us to birth by the word of truth. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must be born from above. 
You must be born from above. God takes the initiative. And Nicodemus was the rabbi. Jesus calls him the rabbi of Israel. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's got every single Jewish credential you could imagine. And he knows he's missing something. And he goes to Jesus by night. And Jesus says, well, what you're missing is this. Heaven's initiative in your life has not yet happened. It happened that night. And it is Nicodemus that Jesus is still speaking to when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. And so it is that reality that becomes ours when we are brought to birth by God. We become literally his child. His child. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who is born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We began this message asking the question, where do we live? Well, we can name that geographically. We live in Kerrville. We live in the, live in the Texas Hill Country. We can describe that spiritually. We, we live in Christ. But folks, we also, the place we live is also the habitation of Satan. The, the scripture speaks of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, the flesh is our internal devil's advocate. The world is the system surrounding us, a system created by Satan that draws us away from God and Satan himself. We are surrounded by Lucifer and one-third of the fallen angel, of the angel host that joined him in his rebellion. That's part of our environment. We're surrounded. Now, it's less graphic here, although it's coming to the surface more and more and more in the United States. If you go to India... Every one of those 33 million Indian gods and goddesses are demons. They're fallen angels. And they worship them. And if you move from one part of India to another part of India, you have to go to the local town. Okay, what are the, in, the gods that inhabit this part of India that I need to be worshiping? We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, Lucifer, Satan. Be aware. Look at your surroundings with Bible glasses on so you can interpret, you can understand, you can see Satan's hand. You can see the way he works. And he has different methods in different cultures of manifesting himself and exercising his power. But we need, that's part of our education as followers of Jesus is being able to identify the work of the enemy as the work of the enemy. We know that we are of God and the whole world, that physical realm in which we walk and spiritual realm in which we walk lies under the sway of the wicked one. Except that, except for us. We're God's instruments in the midst of this wicked, fallen world. We are children, get this, 
We are children of light in a dark world. And we walk in the power and the authority of Jesus. And what happened every time someone came at Jesus, especially from the Jewish leadership trend, but Satan himself coming at Jesus, they always had to flee away. As Jesus confronted them with his authority and his truth, they ran, always ran away with their tail between their legs. You just read through the gospel accounts. And that is to be our life experience as well as we walk in his understanding and his power. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know this also. That the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. We can understand our environment as we never could before. He has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. We get God like we never got God right before. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. I walk, that's the realm I walk in. He provides me with the weapons of warfare that I need in this hostile environment to deal with the fallen angels. And he's not talking about people, especially. He's talking about the fallen angels, the demons that are generating this opposition. Be aware of the fact that whenever there is a human being who is acting in a way that's clearly being animated by Satan, there it is being animated by Satan. And so when you pray, you ask for their deliverance from Satan's power. And that Satan will be forced to flee. Remember the time when Jesus got in the boat? They crossed the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus went to sleep, and they're in the midst of a great storm, and Jesus is still asleep. Jesus feels safe. He knows the hand of his fathers. He doesn't even need to. They're in the mat. And these are sailors. These are guys who are fishermen. They know the dangers of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. They're f- freaking out. They finally wake Jesus up. Are you? Uh, we're about to drown in this storm. What are you? Uh-huh. And you're just laying there in a quiet sleep. Oh my! Have you no faith? And he stands up. And I love this. He stopped the storm. <laughs> And calmed the sea. Seas don't calm immediately after a storm stops. They will often spend hours, sometimes days. Jesus stopped the storm and calmed the sea. And those 12 men are going, what, 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 what did we just witness? They were with Jesus. They were in him in that experience then they went to their destination and here are two men that are demon possessed that live there in a cemetery and nobody in the area dares walk through that area because those two men will attack them 
And what happens? Those two men, of whom everyone else is scared to death, run to Jesus and throw themselves at his feet. No, 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 no. Please, please, please don't send us to torments early. Are you here to torment us before the time? The lake of fire already exists. They know that's their future destination. Are you going to send us a lake of fire right now? No. And he cast them out into a herd of swine, pigs, that all then run down and throw themselves in the Sea of Galilee and drown. Now, what was the environment? Extremely deadly. Frightening. And Jesus completely mastered it. How much did he master it? How convicting was it? The people in the neighboring towns came out because he was now a threat. This is shocking. These two men who had been a threat to them, they couldn't even go through that area. They begged Jesus, please leave here. We don't want you messing with us. We too, what are they saying? We too are wicked like those demons. And we don't want you come coming to our towns and messing with us. And so Jesus and the apostles got back in the boat and sailed back to Capernaum. By the way, a couple of years later, there was a massive revival in that area <laughs> because they kept hearing more and more and more about Jesus and there was a turning. We know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. Every resource is available to us by his presence and his power. This is the true God This is what the authentic way in which relationship with God looks. This is the true God. He's loyal to his promises. He doesn't forget us. We don't don't slip out of his mind. This is the true God and eternal life. Eternal life isn't living forever, although you will. That's the least, that's the most incidental. Eternal life is unrestrained relationship with God. Everybody lives forever. But will I live forever in the welcoming embrace of God? Yes. When will I step into that? You stepped into that when you trusted Christ as your Savior. You have eternal life. This is the true God and eternal life. You've already stepped into that, into that place. Final verse of the letter. Little children, little children, those loved of God, those loved of God. I've got a couple grandchildren sitting over here. By the way, you know what? If somebody came in and threatened one of my grandchildren, how vigorous do you think I would be in their defense? If they have a need... How vigorous do you think I'm going to be in making sure that knee gets met as their grandfather? There's no end to what I will do to make sure 
they are protected and their needs are met. Little children, that is how God, our Father, regards us as a little child. Don't you dare threaten my little child. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, just the other day, I was discussing this passage with a, another, another fellow who's, who's also a preacher teacher. And he said, that sounds kind of strange to me, that he would end the letter with that. And I said, well, what's their environment? I mean, they're living in what is what would be today Western Turkey, the recipients of this letter are. They're surrounded by idolatry. Every direction their eyes turn, there's another pagan temple. The mode of life of the culture they had been saved out of was idolatry. Why is it the pagans had pantheons of gods? Because none of them were almighty. They had specialist gods. And so you, you have a problem with this, you go to that god or goddess. You have a problem with this, you go... Keep, no, stop it. Don't go back to, don't default back to the mode of problem solving in life that was yours before you came to faith in the Son of God. Keep yourselves from idols. And that would be a daily task in that environment because the culture was constantly trying to pull them back to their former mode of life. Don't default back. Keep your feet. God, place your feet on the new path. Keep them there by the strength of his Holy Spirit and by means of his word, as, which is the word of the Holy Spirit, as he instructs you. Keep, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Don't default back. Keep your feet on the new, clean path God has placed them on. Let's ask God's help to do what he told us to do today. Our Lord, we are fallen people in a fallen world, but we have been born from above. God the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We have been redeemed. Every sin has been paid for by what your son did on the cross and we received that benefit we stand before you holy god as your holy ones your saints and you are with us through the person of your son you are with us every step of the way and every resource of who you are is ours you are our environment and we ask that you would enable the people gathered together in this room right now to keep ourselves from idols, from false solutions to our issues. Rather, instead, to continue to pursue you because you are the only true, true, holy God who in following, no harm will come to us, but ultimately kingdom glory. We give you thanks for that and ask that you would not let us forget what the Holy Spirit said to us today. In your name we pray. And all God's people said,